Well, we will plow on because the market waits for no man. Yes. And that is the nature of things. And it is wonderful to have you all back on the podcast uh, uh, as uh, the end of the first week of our season. And of course, the massive week of APEC. It seems uh, like already a, a lifetime ago that uh, this week started on Sunday with uh, Christoph and Mike Muller and, and APEC happened and the announcement of uh, the Saudis and the Russians to roll over their uh, supply cuts mm-hmm. through to the end of the year, which, of course, uh, gave a, a, a pop to the price, which has already been on a steady rise. But uh, it's a bit like it looks like um, rise on the rumor, sell on the news and prices uh, are, are coming off after the pop. So let's uh, kick off this morning with sort of the scene of the crime, if you like, in terms of uh, Jorge Montague, president and founder of Global Markets, the last one to turn off the lights in Singapore this week. Uh, Jorge, uh, are we going to return to planet Earth once everybody mm-hmm. wakes up and remembers that uh, Every barrel that Saudi cuts is a, an idle barrel of capacity. And now they have a two and a half million barrels of idle capacity. What's all the fuss about? Well, first of all, hello to everybody. And Sean, great, great to see you. Uh, it's great being here in Singapore and getting a sense of the market. So let me, let me share some of the highlights. Number one, the Chinese are everywhere. So if you see the attendance, it's heavily, overwhelmingly Chinese. The, the role of the Westerner or Angmo, as they call it here, is definitely uh, sunsetting, if I may misuse that word. In years past, it was definitely the other way around. And there was some very serious, heavy politics going on. There are market things, but there are greater political things. And I'm going to be as per normal, very open and honest in my views, in what I have seen and how I have, in a way, validated that in various conversations. And number one is that there is a low to medium level rift between the US and Saudi Arabia. And there is a medium to high rift or medium to, or high to extremely high rift between the US and Russia. There's a fight of various levels within those two countries. And in the discussions I have been having with various market observers, uh, producers, uh, major Western oil companies is how can you, meaning US, win a battle against 20% of the world oil supply, which Russia and Saudi Arabia are? And if we are very honest in that uh, assessment, is you have no chance. Really, you have no chance. You, you have to be very fair and say you have no chance. And if you extend that battle to Iran, Venezuela, and maybe you know, well, you must know, you do know about the delegation coming in from the US to the UAE this week to tell them, don't do that, meaning don't sell to uh, Russia that 20% starts to grow massively, right? 25, 30%, you, you cannot win. And what we have seen in the OPEC and among this um, OPEC plus is that they do have 
not full 100% discipline, but some level of discipline. And this is evidence on the price. The price is, for all practical purposes, $90. If you add the premiums that could command, it's in effect 90 plus at the moment. And if it were left to its all to its pure market device, devices, it would be, of course, lower because there would be more supply in the marketplace. But the major oil producers are telling, in effect, to the US to back off a little. You know, don't push it too hard. Recognize your place in the ranking. It's better for all of us to be friends than to be fighting. The kingdom is is fighting. It's is the reality, right? And maybe well, you you do did see that today. Uh, the Bank of China also opened a branch in the kingdom. So it's imminent that we are going to have a petro yuan. It's it's imminent. It's it's happening. We need to realize all these things. And meanwhile, the Western economies are shrinking, are or are suffering, mega suffering. And China as well is suffering. But at the top is, of course, Germany. And I don't know if your speakers have highlighted those, those issues with Germany. So from where I stand, the best thing would be to everybody have a, you know, kumbaya, uh, huddle up and say, you know, let's stop fighting. And th that will help the economy grow. But in the meantime, as demand drops in key centers, and growth in the global south to a net effect of growth. Let's not forget that. There is a net effect of oil demand. Saudi Arabia, Russia are willing to turn off the taps somewhat. And that will ensure that gasoline prices remain high. And just to put it here as politely as I can, remain high prior to the US election season. And that, they will... that, that, that's certainly, um, I thought of it, a, a sort of a key point to end your comment on just through the opening comments. Robin Mills, CEO of Camera Energy. I'm not sure I share the same drama of uh, them versus us, uh, with us or against us in this current profile of the market. There seems to be a, an appetite to jump to that place. You know, an eighty to ninety dollar oil all looks rather calm and boring, with lots of idle capacity. And given the context of things, you know, no real economic recession anywhere. Your thoughts, Robin? Yeah, I think this is not a, not a bad price, right? Um, the question is really where, where it goes from here. And you know, Jorge mentions Germany, and certainly the German figures don't look good. You know, China is struggling, um, but US is, is still doing pretty well. And the uh, that's really the, the critical question, I think, for now is oh, where, where does China go? Um, you know, the Chinese oil import figures remain strong. That's probably um, it's probably continuing imports and going into storage and, and exports. So is that really ind indicative of the fundamental strength of the Chinese economy? You know, pr probably not. Um, but still, at least for now, that, those those import figures do remain very strong. Um, and um, uh and this all means, you know, we have an oil price that looks, I think, ninety dollars. Everybody can be happy with it. Okay, consumers would prefer it a bit lower. And OPEC could could see it a bit higher, probably before they reverse their cuts. But it's, but in the moment, it's something everybody can live with. 
Let's welcome uh, our, our good friend Adiyam Surovich, Director of Surrey Clean Energy, which is a lovely name, really. Uh, <laughs> Surrey Clean Energy. The, uh, Adi, your thoughts on this end of uh, APEC week? You weren't there, I weren't there. Uh, but nonetheless, um, the the big news of the week was the Saudi-Russian rollover, the Saudi ultimately. I mean, this is really down to two countries, isn't it? Saudi and Russia and everybody else is just along for the ride. Absolutely. Well, um, not good to be back, Sean, again. Um, didn't go to APEC because my daughter was just finishing university with all the celebrations going on. Mabruk to you and I her. Just, I was just, uh, as Jorge was going on about Chinese being everywhere, I was at University College London, and I'll tell you, it looked like... Uh, uh, it, it looked like Beijing University. It was fabulous to see. Well, uh, if I might just echo, the Chinese are all over Dubai now, too. But for reasons that would appear trying to get their money out of China and into uh, uh, some real estate in Dubai, they're not here because uh, they're taking in the sun. Absolutely. Anyway, go back to business. And um, um, uh, situation in uh, with Saudi Arabia, Russia, look. Uh, I don't think Russia is is actually significantly cutting at all. They're just uh, riding on the back of Saudi's decisions. Saudi Arabia, Saudi cuts are very important, but Saudi Arabia, like the rest of OPEC, in this case, is really just pretty much Saudi Arabia, uh, single-handedly, is always strong in a strong market, weak in a uh, weak market. So what I'm trying to say here, the market is fundamentally strong. So that's why we are where we are, not because of Saudi cuts. In fact, I think one of the reasons why you had a bit of a correction and a bit of a wobble, but I agree with Robin, I think we'll see higher prices uh, going forward by the end of the year before they perhaps come off uh, next yeah, year. How does that coexist? Yeah. Sorry to jump in, Adi. I mean, no. the, the, uh, inevitably to be the, the, the devil's advocate to the, the bull mood this week that, I mean, that are we just ignoring the point that uh, that one of the points that mm -hmm. Jorge mentioned, which is Germany, you know, basically doesn't have a, an economic heartbeat at the moment. China looks like it's going into off oh, some cliff or other, despite the import numbers. The U.S. Uh, increase indicating that finally the 500 basis points from uh, the Fed is going to start kicking them in the ghoulies a bit. That that this is not a, we're not moving into a strong economic outlook period, and yet everybody's screaming $100 oil. How do those two things coexist? Um, excellent point. I was just coming to that. I think I think I, I will say what I said last time I was uh, on this program uh, with you. I think the point is U.S. is. Uh, economy is looking very robust, very strong. Uh, I think the key figures are employment figures to look at. Okay, uh, and and that may lead on to another uh, rate increase. But but the point is, if you if you're a fund, if you're an investor, you're looking out there, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, you can see probably another twenty five basis point increase uh, in the rates, and and probably that's it. Next year we're looking at. Uh, uh, hopefully drops in, in, in the rates and, and sort of better economic picture. China, again, I think China is a very difficult one. Um, subprime situation, it's not that bad. China is basically growing three plus percent. And, and you know what? It's a mature economy. I, I don't think we can expect China to go back to like six, seven, eight percent growth anymore anyway, due to demographic as many other things as well. Uh, China has been a great importer of oil, um, hitting some record highs. July, year on year, 20, almost 25%, I think it's just over 23%. But that is, as Robin said, when most of it went into storage. 
does worry me politically. I don't want to go back into politics again. I think uh, Jorge covered a lot of that. Worries me, why is China building up the stock? But then again, we know that China is very uh, price sensitive. Very smart move. They were buying a lot of oil when it was cheap. Uh, and now this, the storage uh, is, is pretty much brimming. I think they will continue to buy as long as the market stays below uh, $90 a barrel. And again, I think I agree with, uh, with, with the other guests. I think you know, this is not a bad price for the economy. Germany, yes, bit of a problem. Uh, Japan is uh, struggling a little bit. But overall, the market is not as bad. I think it's all relative to what we expected. We expected a hard landing, and we haven't seen it yet. And I think this is why investors are positive about the market. Jorge, looking at the point you finished on uh, the uh, gasoline prices in the US going into the next sort of 12 months with the the presidential election, but already uh, uh, the current uh, price in September appears to be at whatever 10-year highs for seasonality or something puts it in a, in a, a very high place already. I wanted to get your thoughts on on how much of that is structural, not so much crude related, but ultimately refining limitations and sort of dovetailing that with the opposite, uh, the the Chinese now importing a lot of oil, but also going to be exporting a lot of products. Where do you think products go globally from the point of view out of China? And then consequently, what impact that can have on, on other markets like in the U.S.? First of all, let's put aside a little bit of the issue that there is inflation and the inflation will continue and therefore you will see higher prices just because of inflation. Or less cheap. Let, let's put that aside. The, the issue is that the refine, the market has come back because COVID is behind us. Everybody's flying. Everybody's trying to start business. Yes, <laughs> you're even more bearish than me. I think Germany has a heartbeat very slow, but it has one. Not, not zero. So things have come back and demand is very high, right? It's 103 million equivalent per, per year, per day this year. Very, very high. So refineries have had a great time making money because Russian oil gets knocked on the head. It's a little bit cheap. They have high margins just run. And that means they have been postponing turnarounds. And the turnaround season is finally here with us. So as the turnaround season starts coming in, that's going to further open the cracks, which means that the drivers for the price is not the, at the margin, it's not actually the Saudi crude cut is, or, or extension of the crude cuts, is the absence of, at the margin, a barrel of oil. So gasoline and diesel are going to be driving this market for the next quarter. So we should expect even higher prices rising faster than crude over the next six weeks. And that is as we enter the winter. And I think everybody was hoping that Russia would keel over and give up. But what we are seeing is that the US is the one that gave up by buying crude for its, its SPR. Note that the, the US used the SPR to force a market change and a market concession by the Russians. It failed. The US has, has to buy back. So the whole environment, politically, economically because of inflation, and the demand return 
points to higher prices with products leading the charge. Robin, just picking up on the Saudi piece uh, and where and how aggressively they will be to defend price, uh, obviously, it would appear with these rolling cuts and extending them three months that uh, that the Saudis are are are, are, ch- are sort of exploring where that uh, Goldilocks point is. It's higher than 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 what they wanted it to be. They want the Goldilocks price to be probably where it is or higher even. How much do you think they will test that going forward? Uh, and where do you think it is that sort of gold? We saw in the 2011-14 period, hundred dollar plus. The world economy seemed to be able to absorb that in its stride. Do you think Saudi has the appetite to test those again? Yeah, look, I was a bit surprised by the market reaction to the extension of the Saudi cuts because I thought those were obvious. I thought it was pretty clear that the Saudis were going to extend cuts to the to the end of the year. No, no surprise there. And uh, and anyway, they've allowed themselves a review, right? They can review it every month and they can get rid of the cuts. So in the way, it was kind of a, no, a nothing announcement, really. Mm. Um, except as a, as a signal, perhaps, where they're thinking is. But I, I think, look, you know, this kind of Goldilocks price you refer to, it's always if the price stays at $90 or $100 for a few months and everybody thinks, oh, this is okay, that becomes the new Goldilocks price. If it's 110 you know, people get, get comfortable with a certain price quite quickly. Um, even when you know it turns out retrospect that price, whatever it was, wasn't wasn't sustainable. I think if if you know if we were at 100, 100 for 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 a few months uh, and the world economy seems to be doing fine, the Saudis will get comfortable with it with that price too. Um, and bear in mind, compared to the hundred or hundred and ten dollar prices of the if you say the kind of 2011, 2013 period, um, you know, in inflation adjusted terms, of course, that those would be more like hundred thirty plus today. Um, so uh, you know, if we're 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 at a hundred. If we get to hundred, so some point to this year or early next year, um, yeah, inflation adjusted terms that's, that's not particularly high by historic standards. We're only just above the historic, the, the long term historical average right right now. Um, I suppose the continuation of that point is, is is from the historical reference. Would Saudi be willing to continue to carry the bucket beyond a million? I mean, they're already beyond. They're you know they've got twenty five percent idle capacity, and every other OPEC plus country bar Russia and maybe even Russia are pumping as much as they can. Uh, do you think they'd be willing, but bar the UAE, perhaps they're participating too in the, in the, whatever cuts they've agreed to, but the, the most OPEC plus countries are are not participating here. And, and how I'm wondering from your perspective, would Saudi be still willing to carry that bucket for everybody to keep on uh, uh, cutting in order to keep the price elevated that swing producer function? Well, I think it's important you mentioned the UAE because you know the UAE, as, as we know, has you know, percentage-wise, has the most spare capacity of any uh, any of the, the OPEC Plus members, and uh, and indeed, actually, this I think yesterday just had not announced that they had a indeed a higher production capacity than I think four more four point six five million, so that they have um, extended their production capacity beyond beyond where it was last year, but not able to use it. And of course, we know that they put pressure on on OPEC several times to get to the higher quotas. So that, that that's important because that ultimately does put pressure on, on the sides as well. If the UAE keeps arguing that you know we're not happy with the cuts being as deep as they are, um, and we'd uh, you know we'd like to increase our, our quota, and the side at some point get will obviously get uh, uncomfortable by giving up, um, keep continuing giving up quota share to the UAE. So it puts some a little bit of pressure on them. Um, but but of course the side at the moment is rolling on the voluntary cuts, 
and I think the sensible thing would be so, okay, it's a million barrel a day voluntary cut. Um, it's a bit of a blunt weapon, you know, zero or or a million. Um, if the oil price uh, is over a hundred dollars a barrel, I'd say, you know, why not cut it back to half a million uh, voluntary cuts for a while and, and see where that goes. Um, so there, there's there's some more room kind of fine tuning in this as as we get into uh, as as we get it towards the end of the year. Adi, where do you think the market is at? I mean, from the trader's point of view, is this a, a, a market to be long on? Is this a market that uh, has, a, has a clear direction now? I think I think this is a market to be long in, still stay long. Uh, all the indicators that I normally use, um, uh, differentials, uh, sort of the dated value or CFDs at the front end, uh, Front-end CFD is well over a dollar, so dated is over a dollar over futures market that we talk about. Uh, <clears throat> so all the rolls, backwardation, backwardation is, is, is now approaching sort of a dollar. We are not down in 30s, 40s. We are 70s and 80s in, in the crude spreads. are all indicators of a relatively strong market. As I said, it's macro picture, but also this morning, actually, I just forgot to mention the air traffic numbers came out from IATA. And 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 uh, in July, uh, year on year, there was an increase in in air traffic by twenty six percent, over twenty six percent. I think it's normally measured in in um, I think revenue passenger kilo, uh, kilometers. What is interesting about this very large increase year on year, twenty six percent, is that it, it was this time led by international traffic, and as we know, international traffic is where you use a lot of fuel. So international traffic climbed almost thirty percent. So these are, it's not the Saudi cuts, you know, Saudi cuts certainly will help in a strong market, but it's it's really the strong market out there. A lot of pent up demand after COVID, particularly the Chinese uh, after COVID, they've had enough. And I, I think that that demand is coming out and they're traveling and going places, uh, as you said, Dubai, London and everywhere else. So overall, the market, you know, is is strong for the next, for you know, next few months. Uh, I think we I would definitely be long later on next year. I think it's a slightly different story. We can discuss that. I think these high prices will certainly dent demand. But I'm not so sure the Saudis are too worried about it. I think Saudis at this stage are looking at their revenues. As long as their revenues stay high, I think they'll keep the cuts on. Uh, and clearly, the, the, the new sort of management in, in the Saudi government is, is only concerned about the short-term revenue maximization. And that's all that all they, they, they care about. Um, so I think they'll stick to their policies as long as they're making more money. Let's go to the survey question, which sort of echoes what I my sort of tone this morning. Uh, price will drop back towards 80 once everybody remembers there's plenty of idle capacity and all major economies are slowing down. Uh, agree or disagree with that statement of course there's no time frame on it drop back towards 80 when maybe i think uh, time frame know. is the key here isn't it? yeah, yeah uh, it is i suppose in i mean over the the next quarter i would sort of throw in there as an added uh sense jorge i wanted to get your views on elasticity of demand which i think is relevant now because obviously the economies are not in you know in a, in a trajectory that would indicate you know, your standard global 2 million barrels a day demand increase, sort of historical average. Um, 
we we the even with the US economy and the you know seemingly doing well we're forever hearing we've got full unemployment but everybody's economically miserable it's there's is a weird uh, counterintuitive reality now uh, putting aside china but ultimately in the G7 OECD there's full employment uh, in 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 most of the OECD countries and yet there seems to be nobody can live in the city of london because they can't afford to live there even though they have a job irish people are emigrating not because they're unemployed because they can't afford to live in dublin that there does seem to be uh, uh, this, you know, macro numbers are, are relatively uh, in, a, in, a, in a reasonable place, but but the actual living is uh, crisis is there. So elasticity of demand going forward in a weaker economic outlook, 103 million barrel oil day market holds up, do you think? Yeah, and this brings us back to the issue of inflation. We, we have to recognize that the price of oil cannot be low while the price of an air ticket is high, the price of rent is high, the price of eggs is high, the price of everything is high because the whole environment is rising because of inflation. And this brings us to a very two very critical comments. Number one, I did speak to producers this week and without pointing the one, they are committed to maintaining the cuts to ensure that the price remains robust. And based on my body language interpretation, they're extremely committed. Number two, the interest rates, as they have risen, they are damaging investment and economies. And in particular, let's not forget that, the already developed established economies because they haven't dealt with high interest rates for decades. But for the emerging world, that's every day. You know, <laughs> what are interest rates in India, in South Africa, in Guatemala, Mexico, whatever, high, right? So they're a little bit higher. So at the margin, the change is not as damaging. And that means that the global South will continue to grow while the developed world gets hit. So on a numerical basis, as we enter 2024, the central bank authorities will be in a very hot seat of keeping interest rates high and seeing their economies lose their heartbeats or inflate. And it, the discussions we have had here in Singapore is, do you prefer to be facing an unemployed angry man that cannot buy eggs, or do you prefer to face an employed angry man with inflation that has to pay more for eggs? So the end result to us mentally, intellectually, numerically, is that the world will be inflated next year. So as the world gets inflated, yes, the oil price, the price of products, the price of everything will go up. So I hope that kind of gives you the sense of what is coming. I think it's a very high price environment for 2024. 
Robin, I wanted to get your thoughts on the earlier comment, uh, which was the the situation between Saudi and the U.S. and and the earlier point that uh, that was mentioned by Jorge. And of course, it's been a backdrop now for some time, particularly uh, the the relationship between the two administrations. But the, as we go into an election cycle, do you think there will be sensitivity in Saudi around the impact of high gasoline prices? We saw the last midterm election; it was a huge sort of issue politically it sort of bubbled up going into the next cycle do you, do you expect saudis to be sensitive to that or not uh sensitive to it in the sense of trying to help out uh, joe biden no probably not i mean more the other way um using it as a point of leverage i think um you know, look, we know but there the is this backdrop between, uh security yeah. negotiation going on at the moment uh, that we're hearing the americans talk very openly about the saudi israel uh, U.S. Uh, agreement that seems to be, you know, in serious discussion. Yeah, you know, I, well, I find the U.S. pursuit of, of this, their determined pursuit of it, you know, a, a bit odd. Um, the Saudi ask is is extremely high, um, and I'm not really sure what the U.S. gets out of it. Um, so, uh, you know, even politically for Joe, Joe Biden, I'm not sure what he gets out of it, even if this rather unlikely deal does come together. So, so I, I find that a bit odd. But the U.S. has been pursuing it quite quite hard, um, and you know the Saudis, of course, have some certain things they're asking for, um, particularly on 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 the civilian nuclear power side, um, and, as, and as well on on security guarantees, you know, which are are, are pretty made major asks from, from the U.S. So um, yeah, I think the Saudis will continue using this, this as a gasoline prices or, or their their influence on those as, as a point of leverage going to the elections uh, for sure. Um, but I, I don't really expect. I think the the uh, I think the bridge on on that deal is just is just too far. I don't see that the uh, the Saudis will or the or the US will possibly be able to agree to what the Saudis are asking for. What about Iran, Robin? I know you follow Iran closely. We saw, you know, generally speaking, Iran export as much oil as they want or can in the last uh, this year, really. And then just last week, we saw a tanker, an Iranian tanker in the South China Sea getting detained, uh, smuggled oil, so to speak, sanction busting Iranian oil. Where's your read on where that is, the facilitation or, or turning a blind eye to Iranian exports? Yeah, the enforcement has clearly gone gone way down. Iranian exports have, have increased. A lot of that was from storage, and the Iranians kind of now, now reaching the 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 limits of their output in in the short term. Um, but they could they could boost that further if, if they if the sanctions enforcement had, had weakened over a longer period. Um, so I think look, it's clear that the US has made a decision. Firstly, that they want oil prices to stay moderate. Secondly, that for now that they really want to target Russia, uh, and that they they you know Jorge reminded us they can't fight everybody at once. Um, and it's a lot easier to say, let's, let's lower the focus on Iran. Let's talk to Venezuela, get a bit of Venezuela. Uh, is not such a big, big threat right now. Get a bit of Venezuela and all back on the market um, and uh, and hope to, to to hamper Russia in that. You know, particularly the rising prices, of course, the, um, the Russian the, okay, the, the Russian discount has decreased. So Russia is kind of getting a double benefit now. I mean, higher base prices and, the, and a smaller discount. And we've seen this chat recently about the caps not really being enforced and not really being uh, and not really being honoured um, in in compliance. Um, so that's uh, you know so there's there's still some desire to keep prices moderate to try to keep, give uh, to avoid giving too much of a boost to Russia. Um, but the U.S. sanctions machinery does still exist and it does still kind of act and uh, you know in a kind of a, you know like a a, 
uh, headless chicken kind of a way it keeps running around uh, you know and uh, regardless of what the uh, what the head should be doing so you see things like that that action you know, well i suppose ultimately it's if you were to pick it's number one uh uh priority addy it is to uh keep oil flowing and on that level it's been quite successful the perception of slapping russia on the wrist but at the same token keeping 10 million barrels of oil moving uh survey result and addy with the last word today uh 50 50 there we go um so um not such a crazy idea after all. Let's put it out there for social media comments on. But Adi, I wanted to get your thoughts on that point, Russia outlook. I mean, we are 18 months into this conflict with Moscow, with the, the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, most of the Western uh, technology and oil services companies are out of Russia. Uh, their ability to maintain production capacity uh, going forward, regardless of, of uh, price cap and so forth. Where do you see all of that playing out? over the the coming quarter and and next year well more more of the same sean uh price cap never really worked was not designed to work other than allow more russian exports as you rightly said and i've been saying this all along uh in terms of russian exports russia will always try and appease saudi arabia they want high oil prices and saudi arabia is doing it single-handedly russia is just pretending to do bits and bobs in fact i think in the coming uh, month or so, we'll see increased Russian exports, primarily because of the turnarounds in Russia. I think uh, some some forty percent of Russian refining capacity will be going through will be off grid. So um, basically, you'll see less product, more crude, and I think they'll be struggling to place their crude. Um, uh, in terms of uh, overall, um, uh, your your survey I think was excellent. Uh, it just shows how difficult the market is to predict. I think it will go higher in the short run, but uh, the best cure for high oil prices are high oil prices. Um, I think Exxon came out, I mean, you know, oil is coming out of everywhere. Uh, Guyana, Exxon just announced that Guyana output may reach 1 million barrels a day by 2028. So non-OPEC output is increasing. Um, and and uh, going back to the point, very important point of price elasticity of demand, I think it works. I spoke to... Um, few weeks ago to my helper and she drives a car uh ultimate economics and i said look uh, are you worried about high oil prices she said like no not at all i said how come and she says well i i, I use 50 quid worth of petrol every month and that's it so that's the ultimate price elasticity or demand for you there so <laughs> you know that's <laughs> what most people will do and just get on with it uh, like, and, uh, and demand eventually will turn around and ultimately, I suppose at the moment, at least, and it says how long is a piece of string, but, uh, you know, $90 oil isn't what $90 used to be. As we all know, right. when we go out to buy a latte, it just about buys you a few of those. Uh, so uh, the the it's not quite uh, the, the full Monty, so to speak. Listen, we will leave it there. It is wonderful to have you guys back at the table. And a great to end the week with the powerhouse uh, Adiam Sirovich, Robin Mills, and Jorge Montemagu. Uh, take care. We look forward to catching up with you all soon again. Oil prices trading a little bit down today, below $90 on Brent. All the best.